Welcome to Life Radio, where we practice collective reflection on modern life. I'm Maureen. I'm Danielle. And I'm Lawrence. And on each episode of Life Radio, we choose a topic, find a question, and dive in. Today, our topic is relationships. Okay, team, what questions do we have about relationships? Why are they the worst? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I want to just stay here and find out more about what you mean, Lawrence. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) That's not true. I don't. We have to choose that question if we want to (laughs) know. I have very fond feelings about relationships. I just feel like people around me have really negative feelings about relationships. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot about uh, the parts of relationships that create the world we want. You know, if we if we want to have a particular type of society, what kind of relationships do we need in order for that to be true? I was having a conversation about this particular card deck I have. This deck of letting go cards. In the deck, there's a card that says, um, like, accepting my relationship. And on the back, it was very obvious that the author meant their, like, primary romantic relationship. But I don't think about, like, when I say the word relationship, I don't, in, I don't immediately mean the person who I've decided to monogamously partner with for my life. So, like, when I read that card, accepting my relationship, I was like, oh, my relationship with all sorts of people my parents, other family members, my lovers, my nibblings, my friends. Um, So there's a question in there, but it's like, what, it's building on what you were just saying, Danielle, like, how do we, mm, I don't know what it is. It's like, how do these different people, how are we in relationship depending on who the person is like what are the dynamics the same or are they different if it's romantic and friend i don't know that was sloppy (laughs) it made me want to like form a question around you know why is heterosexual heterosexual monogamy normal you know uh and what are humans leaving on the table in terms of potential, because we're so obsessed with heterosexual monogamous relationships. Well, in the context of romantic relationships, that makes me think about why so many people are so afraid to not be in a relationship. Um, As someone who has no interest in getting married and actually kind of prefers being single, it just strikes me as so strange that people are so fearful of not finding, you know, quote unquote, the one or this idea that they'll die alone if they don't, you know, get married or something like that. Um, you know, what is that about? What are they so, what are people so afraid of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that fear drives a lot of decisions in people's lives. I'm trying to think of other angles too. Uh, you know, we're really focused here on the, interhuman relationships, but it's interesting, you know, like what other relationships do humans have that are non-human, that are essential? It could be relationships to practices, relationships to the natural environment, relationships to animals, relationships to spirit, right? What are the, what are the non-human 
relationships that are essential to our life. When I think about being in relationship with something like the earth, the term being in right relationship comes up. So maybe there's some question here about how, how do we define right relationship with fill in the blank with anyone, anything in our lives? Like how do we, because when I do coaching with my clients, so often when relationships come up, you know, often it's, it's professional relationships, but they get so focused on the other person and I have to kind of draw their attention to like, how will, how do you want to be in this situation? How do you want to show up? Which I think is another way of talking about being in right relationships. So um, I'm not sure exactly what the question is there, but it's about how do we define how we want to be in any relationship or how what right relationship looks like in any context? I was hearing in what you said, just the shorter version, like, what is our definition of right relationship? I want to ding. Ding, ding, ding. Do it. Ding. <laughs> well, I do think there was a little more enthusiasm showed for Lawrence's question about why are they the worst? So I don't know. We're going to have to choose between those two questions today. I can bring in some of the energy for that first question <laughs> if we land on this question. Well, that will be an interesting contrast. So why don't we go ahead? So Lawrence, can you restate how your your last version of that question went? Yeah. How do we define being in right relationship? Love it. Lawrence? Dang it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, you had that coming to you. I <laughs> you did And many, many, many episodes in the making. <laughs> you know, I think I first heard the phrase right relationship um, in probably training contexts like where I was a participant and we were in a really diverse group of people and probably a quarter to a third of the room um, were folks who in, who identified as indigenous, um, so First Nations folks, and everything was about relationship and everything was about being in right relationship. That was like the frame that they that they brought. You know, maybe that wasn't the most important frame to them, but in that particular group of people, it seemed like a really stark difference that for me, it was like, oh, I don't even think about that as a concept for organizing how I introduce myself, how I come into a physical space, how I move around that space, how I leave that space, how I talk to people. Like it just was new for me to have that as an organizing principle, like being in right relationship with so many things. Um, I'm actually realizing now that I didn't ever ask the details of what that meant. <laughs> um, I just sort of like experienced it and observed it. And I wonder what those folks would say uh, if I were to go back. Danielle, you were in that room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I have also learned a lot from Indigenous folks about right relationship and what that means, what it means in in community and the way that we relate to one another, what it means in relationship to the land that we're on and uh, and who has been the steward of that land uh, and what to honor 
in the natural environment where we are. I mean, I've even, you know, had the the benefit one time of working with a practitioner who teaches about plant spirits, you know, and how you need to honor all the different plants and all the different spirits of the plants that you're interacting with. And, you know, for some folks that is a religious or a devotional practice that has been, you know, passed down for generations upon generations. And, you know, for others who are not engaged in that practice, it's it's really interesting to actually think about that, right? To actually think about, hey, wait, what if humans are not <laughs> the center of the universe? What if we're actually part of a web of life and that everything around us has a legacy seen or unseen that we are interacting with, you know, and um, it's, it's so humbling to be brought into that perspective of truly, you know, I've learned about it a lot in terms of honoring the earth, truly how to do that, how to honor the earth, truly how to honor relationship. Yeah. I think this is just reminding me so much of, where I would guess I probably first heard the term being in right relationship, which was in the context of working for a study abroad program called the International Honors Program, which I had gone on as a student, which was really transformative. And I went back to work for them as a teaching assistant in my mid-20s and we traveled with a group of university students and professors. And we went all around the world and studied the effects of globalization on different communities around the world. And just learned a lot about how different different people all over the world conceive of being in right relationship with, you know, each other, with their surroundings. And and I remember we stayed on a marae, which is kind of a, a gathering place of the Maori people in New Zealand. And when our hosts greeted us and we all sat down, there were probably 35 of us in our group. And we did introductions and they taught us the the typical way that the Maori would introduce themselves, which was to say their name and where they're from. And then they would say, and my mountain is, and my river is. And that was, it, it was like they were in such deep relationship with the mountain and the river that it actually became part of the introduction to new people. And to just think about being in such close relationship with these natural features that it would become almost part of your identity was really striking in contrast to you know, how I'm used to living in Boston. And I think just the contrast with the sort of Western, you know, notions of development and progress and just how different they are from some indigenous approaches to life and relationship is it's so stark and kind of scary and depressing, actually, when you really start to take that in. It's also making me think about well, I guess one additional thought to what you were saying, Maureen, I'm, you know, I just moved back to um, Cambridge and as I live here, I'm trying to reorient myself yeah, to this place. The first time I lived here, I was an MIT student and so my orientation was definitely towards MIT as a campus and then also Harvard because I was there often. And now that I'm back, I'm trying to reorient myself to the river, um, which is the Charles River in English. and I. I just found out, uh, I think it's, uh, actually, I'm not going to try to misspeak. Uh, there is an indigenous name for the river. 
I just found out and I'm trying to get practice at like calling it that, referring to the river with that name. But it really made me think, it's making me think for me and then in what you were saying, Maureen, the way that our relationships define us is like so important or so it's just so so huge um like you know i have heard the phrase like you know land can't belong to people people actually belong to land especially if you think about the fact that the land will be here for a hell of a lot longer than any individual person will like it really makes sense for that framing to be reversed um and like we are a composite of our relationships or that's how i think about it like I am, I, I exist in relationship, which is sort of counter to that phrase. Like, I think, therefore, I am. Like, no, I am because I'm in relationship. And it's, and it's relationships to the land have been threatened and people have actually been persecuted for praying to the land. It actually, in some places, is unsafe to conduct a ritual at the beach for violence from another person or uh, just people being offended. Certain types of relationships, devotional relationships, and other kinds of relationships are allowed in the society and other kinds of relationships are not allowed. So when, you know, somebody is kneeling on the ground at the beach, burning sage and setting out flowers as an offering to the ocean, that is seen by some uh, where I live as like an activity that needs to be intervened on, right? That, 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 that there's something wrong going on here. There's something nefarious or some kind of thing like that. And I think part of the, the sickness that humans have right now that we're not actually surrendering and getting down on our knees and praying to the ocean and recognizing that we're little specks of dust in the span of time and that with one big wave our whole thing is over right couple of plates underground crash together one big wave one big gust of wind and this is all over for us and that kind of humility isn't present at the decision making table with developers it's not present as we think about finite and essential resources like fresh water that you know we're allowing to be contaminated by natural gas and other chemicals i mean it's just unbelievable the ways in which the basic resources of life are not being protected on the planet because we're out of balance in our relationship. Well, and then also, you know, this kind of scenario you're describing of someone, you know, doing some kind of ceremony at the, at the beach. I don't know exactly what ceremony you're referring to, Danielle, but what the image that came to my mind was, you know, not even so much along the lines of people viewing it as dangerous, but just being dismissive of it, right? This whole idea of like, oh, that's woo-woo, oh, that's, you know, sort of silly, like, condescending. I mean, when you think about, I think back to the 60s, like the sort of hippie movement and the back to the land movement and experiments in this country in intentional communities and collective living, you know, that's sort of the butt of jokes now and people get dismissed as like, oh, those hippie, you know, tree huggers, right? Which is Which is sort of meant as like a dig. But when you step back, it's like, why is it 
why is it so threatening to you that people are trying to get in right relationship with the land and try a form of living that's rooted in collectivism rather than individualism? You know, and it's threatening to the point where you need to make light of it or dismiss it or it's or, or, or it's just not taken seriously. I mean, like what is I don't know if that's because it, to take it seriously would produce so much cognitive dissonance for people who are living an unsustainable lifestyle or who don't want to admit that they're so individualized that it's isolating or that they're mired in consumption. I don't know. I don't know what it's about, but I feel like people that are trying to live in right relationship with each other and the land should be held up as models and innovators and, you know, people that we should be thanking for trying to move us in a sustainable direction rather than be dismissed. And of course, there's a racial dynamic to that too, with the hippie movement being so white, right? And and the ways in which that is perceived differently than people of color who are engaged in ceremony mm-hmm. on the beach, mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe someone rolls their eyes and makes fun of the white hippies who can, you know, opt back into their white privilege at any time and call the police, mm-hmm. right? If it's a woman of color right. and uh, act disrespectfully in a different kind of way. And so, you know, the way these relationships are expressed have to do with race, they have to do with religion and, and the dominant accepted ideologies of a place. And, you know, even an honoring of who have been the people who have stewarded this important information about the practices and ways of communicating with the earth. Like there's actually thousands upon thousands of years of of knowledge and wisdom about how to that is completely dismissed and is being rapidly lost as a result of the persecution of indigenous communities. And that's one of the terrible legacies of colonialism. Uh, I mean, we're kind of getting into how identity is wrapped up in for, you know, I, notions of relationship. I'm curious to hear from you, Lawrence, if from your perspective, you think that being relational is gendered. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, in, I would say, societies descendant from Western European cultures, like definitely, I don't think it is inherent inherently, but I definitely think, yeah, in... American society, it's super gendered. You know, I think, like, obviously we have an individualist culture overall. And I think folks raised as boys, folks who identify as men, folks who are male, like, have extra leeway in the individualist, the rugged individualist frame. And in some ways, even get penalized for trying to be relational. You know, like, just straight up in terms of you know, those studies, like business studies, that's like when men who are CEOs try to do positive relational work with their staff, their staff will often say things like they aren't a decision maker. And like, they're not, they don't have a clear enough strategy. They're not a quick enough decision maker. There's a third thing that gets said in that space. Um, And the same thing is true when people are trying to rise in leadership ranks. Like, for like when men are trying to be relational, they often get seen as like weak. Okay, so that's one part of the thing. You know, the other 
gendered part of it is like, you know, obviously my experience and what I've seen is it really seems like women are under, what's the word, like under, it's about socialization, like socialized to be relational over everything, um, even when that is not necessarily mm -hmm. good for you as an individual. And I fully believe that relational culture is like what our society needs to correct itself. Like we are deeply under relational. And so I, you know, obviously the history of, around it is unfair, uneven, oppressive. And I really think if we like made all of the political leaders women for like a generation or two, we would be in a much better place at the end of those two generations. And it's not, there are many, re, there are many layers along which that would be true. I'm fully in support of that idea. So then why are relationships the worst, Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> good, good call back. Relationships are the worst because most people don't know how to do them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Is that it. true? Like, okay, the reason I said that earlier, and then I'm going to stop talking because I feel like I'm going to talk in a lot this last little bit. You have it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but thanks um, for being attuned to that dynamic. I experience many people in my life and around me, like directly in my life and people who are like one or two circles away from me as having a really hard time and being really confused and surprised when things don't go well in their relationship, in their romantic relationship or their friend relationships. And I really feel like we're un we under teach each other how to tend to relationships. Uh, a phrase that I like about relationships is, you know, the relationship itself will be as strong as the care it gets. And the relationship is a separate thing from me as a person in it and you as a person in it. Like the relationship is a thing that needs its own tending and care. And I think a lot of like when I say like relationships are the worst, often what I hear or what I see is people like being super surprised that their relationship isn't going well, but they're not spending any time on the relationship. It's like, I'm getting what I want. How do I get what you want? And like, that's the end of the conversation. And it's so true. And even, you know, I've been exposed to, to different deepening practices in relationships of how to have extremely deep conversations with people, how to talk about hard things, how to hold space for each other's potential, you know, where you do all sorts of weird stuff, like, you know, look deeply into each other's eyes and ask big questions that are impossible to answer and hold each other while you cry. And, you know, I, I have experienced such tremendous heart opening as a result of these various different kinds of practices. And I'm actually reading a book right now uh, called Evolutionary Relationships by this woman, uh, Patricia Albert, which has is chock full of practices that you can do with partners and that you can do by yourself to come into better relationship with yourself and better relationship with other people. A lot of it is based on a practice that uh, we have all done together, actually, uh, with Gibran Rivera, uh, Mutual Awakening, which he teaches in evolutionary leadership. And, you know, I'm just like, wow, there is so much available to us through the realms of uh, consciousness and, and supporting one another, listening to one another, holding space for one another that is completely void 
in the mainstream society. Like if I try to explain to some of my friends some of these practices that we've that we've all done together, people are like, "What? Why would you do that?" And I also don't know anyone who has had such incredible, say, support networks in different kind of crises than some of the stuff that I've seen between, you know, people who we know. You know, COVID hits, like there was some ways in which we were all actually quite prepared to hold one another. And I've noticed that people who don't have that depth in their relationships have been extremely, in some cases, extremely isolated and miserable. That was one of the biggest things that struck me early on in the pandemic, which was exceptionally hard and, you know, scary and anxiety producing, especially in Boston, which was one of the early hotspots. But I just remember thinking over and over, just uh, just being so grateful for the way that I had invested my time and energy for the, you know, 10 or 20 years previous, which was in my relationships with my friends, my neighbors, you know, people that really where we could show up for each other. And I just kept thinking, I don't know where I'd be in this moment without those strong relationships where we're really, you know, offering deep support for each other on multiple levels through this crisis and just being so glad that I had those. And I, but, but it was, it wasn't just, oh, I'm, you know, lucky me, they're here by accident. It was like, oh, I've really tended these relationships over the years and now it's really bearing fruit, so to speak. Um, and I've always known that friendship, different kind of relationship is really important in my life, central in my life. My friends have long just been really the most important thing to me. And um, as we're recording this, I'm coming up on the end of um, now a month down in Florida, where I, you know, practice being a snowbird this year, given that all my work is virtual because of COVID and wasn't really too keen on spending winter indoors in, in Boston and not being able to safely socialize. So I came down here and it's been wonderful on many levels, but I don't know anybody here. And it's been a month since I've had friends around. And, you know, normally when I travel alone, which I love to do, I'm, I make new friends very easily. I'm constantly meeting new people and we're chit-chatting. But here it's not really, it, we're in a moment where it's not really safe to do that because I have to stay six feet away from you. And, you know, I don't know. But this month has really hit home to me in a new way how central friendships are in my life. And um, it's been really hard to not have friends around for, for several weeks now. I just, I'm just counting the days till we can safely be in a room together again and, you know, hug each other and break bread together and just be, be a human distance apart as we converse about our lives, you know, and, you know, just, just catch up with each other. Mm. I feel like we could talk forever about relationships between people I guess we've had like a, an interesting flow so far. So we started out talking about land, like relationships to land, right? Relationship to land, which is like a big relationship, I feel. And then we've been in like the interpersonal lane for a little bit. We've touched on the like right relationship internally, but I wonder if y'all feel good to like go another layer in. Like how do, how do we be in right relationship with ourselves? Jinx. Uh, <laughs> Maureen? Well... <laughs> I'll take the bait this time, Lawrence. I mean, the immediate word that came to mind was reflection. And obviously, you know, you and I earlier this year hosted- that was last oh, No, that was year. last year. Oh my gosh. What is time? 
2020, we actually hosted a four-day retreat where we brought 10 people together into the woods, away from their everyday lives and the distraction, just to do self-reflection and then visioning. And I think that it's become clear to me as we've offered that and other things in that lane, how much people typically are lacking time and space for self-reflection. Um, and I don't know how you get in right relationship with yourself if you don't have time and space where you're, you're kind of getting, you know, more signal, less noise, so to speak, to tune in to what you want, what your dreams are, what you're scared of, you know, what your heart desires, what you think would help you to thrive in life, all those things. I don't know. To me, I'm starting to become more and more convinced that time and space for self-reflection is crucial to being in right relationship with yourself. Mm. Yeah. And Danielle does a ton of work also in supporting people to do self-reflection in many ways, but definitely via infinite growth, Mm -hmm. which I have benefited from the holistic vision part of infinite growth and like set up my own personal vision but I could only vision forward after doing many weeks of guided reflection. And yeah, I just really resonate with what you're saying, Maureen, about you. It feels, I think I would say it feels impossible to be in right relationship with yourself if you do not have sufficient time to self-reflect. But Danielle, I wonder, yeah, I wonder how you're thinking about this in this moment. The first word that came to my mind was honesty of like, I have to be honest with myself about the truth. We can tell ourselves so many stories about who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be plagued by uh, delusions at different times of my life, you know, and I've been uh, plagued by hindrances and made mistakes and just failed flat on my face. And, you know, usually maybe there's some external reasons for that, but usually like there's a big part of it that is me. And I got to be honest about that and being, that's part of being in right relationship with myself. If I'm not telling my the truth to myself, then how on earth am I going to be authentic in the world? And, you know, the, the ability to be honest, I think is always available to us. And it's actually liberating. I find when I'm just honest that I'm really struggling with something, or if I'm honest that I'm sad about something or disappointed or whatever it is, you know, it just, it's a important step, you know, it's an important step. And so what's the process for somebody to become honest? I think, you know, that connects to what you guys are talking about with having space for self-reflection and community, you know, like you need safe relationships where you can be honest with people and they're not going to abuse you and they're not going to throw you away, you know, where you could say like, wow, I'm really, you know, you could just be real with people. It's very hard to find that. It's very hard to find structures where you can tell the truth and be received as you are. Nobody trying to fix you. Stop trying to fix people, just allow them the space to speak their truth, you know, and that sets off a transformation process inside of them, 
where they can begin to feel their own honesty, that they can be received in their own honesty. And, you know, I say this as a, as a person who loves to give advice. I don't relate to that at all. <laughs> I just like gave, gave advice in the, in the thing. Stop doing this to people. <laughs> but, but this idea you that go. you touched on of like, don't throw people away. I, well, first of all, I think we should do an episode on cancel culture. But, but it just, it, it's almost like, yeah, it's just a reflection too of um, kind of... It, well, it echoes the idea of being in right relationship with the land, right? Where it, like every, if you live in this hyper consumerist society where everything is disposable, right? And everything just gets thrown away. You're not in right relationship with, with the land, with the earth. So I don't know. There's something nice there about this, that notion about not, th- not tossing things away that I think undergirds a lot of this conversation. Totally. And I think that that is also true Ooh. with the self, like, part of what self-reflection is for me is looking back at things I did or places I went or ways I spent my time and my energy and actually having to reckon and be honest with what the F I was doing. <laughs> like, yeah, I set out to do X, Y, and Z. Did I actually do those things? Did I make the time and space to do those things? And if I didn't, pretending like I... Obviously, I can pretend that I did do the things. Like, that's just lying. (laughs) That's obvious. But if I don't, like, if I just move on and don't address the fact that I tried to do something or wanted to do something and then didn't put energy there, I feel like it's also a form of dishonesty. Like, I am out of alignment with my past self. And not that my past self was perfect. But if I don't slow down enough to look at that gap between past me and current me, how the heck am I going to move forward in ways that are honest? Because like, why wouldn't I just do the same thing over and over again? Like, why wouldn't I just be in that pattern forever? I think that word alignment is really key for me in terms of thinking about right relationship with the self. And this comes up a lot in my coaching sessions where you know, we can't control what anybody else does. We can only control how we show up in any situation. And, you know, if we're clear about our values and we're clear not just about what we want to do in our lives, but how we want to be, you know, and that might that might look different in different relationships and different contexts. But if we just show up and we act in, a, in alignment with our values and our and the ways of being that are important to us, then that's being in right relationship in my mind. Right. But that's the thing that we don't have practices around. So that's exactly what we do in the holistic vision, right? Is we go through, we take a look at how are you living? What do you want? How do you, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? What is your vision for the future? And then how do you align your day-to-day actions right now, your day-to-day decisions right now? How do you align that with what you want to be and who you want to be in the world? And it's fascinating, you know, everybody comes through and it's everybody, it's all humans, you know, everybody comes through with uh, all of these beliefs about how their life should be that were implanted in their mind by somebody else. And when they really get honest about what they want, I've just seen so many people completely change their tune about what they need, how they need to be spending their time. And a lot of times it 
turns them towards their creativity. It turns them towards their family and their children. It turns them towards their health. It turns them towards actually allowing for time and space to take care of themselves. You know, I feel like we're on a treadmill. It's like we are just running in the society right now, running to survive capitalism. And we love that image of, you know, what if we just, everybody just stopped making the machine go, you know, and, and we just turned to one another and started being more human. <laughs> what would then, you know, that would be like the whole currency would be relationships in a different kind of way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I think there's a lot more to say on this topic, but we are running out of time. So I'm going to have to say um, thanks for listening to our collective reflection on modern life. And of course, we would love to hear your thoughts, your reactions. You can head over to Instagram and find us at Life Radio Show. We want to know your take on relationships and we want to be in relationship with you all. So come find us and um, share your questions with us. So until next time, bye. 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 <laughs> okay.